This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This is Onir Bal. I hope you had a good laugh last week at the bumbling bureaucrats and their crazy policies over bullkeeping. The 14th of September is celebrated every year in India as Hindi Divas to promote and propagate the official language Hindi which is also the fourth most spoken language in the world. The Constituent Assembly of India had chosen Hindi as India's official language on 14th of September 1949. Hindi is one of the two official languages of the Union government, written of course in the Devanagari script. The other language is English. Now, there has always been a degree of controversy and discomfort about the policy of the Indian state as far as languages are concerned. The Indian state really has followed a confusing policy on language practices. On the one hand, it has honored a number of languages as scheduled languages. It means all those languages enjoy equal status. Civil service aspirants, for example, can write answers to their questions in any of these scheduled languages. The trouble is, questions for the civil services examinations or any national level test are printed in only English and Hindi. These two have been elevated to higher legitimacy with the term link language, meaning languages in which interprovincial official communications are carried out. For the record, there is no national language of India. So how one of these link languages or Hindi has become misrepresented in the public sphere as the national language merits a separate inquiry. The Gujarat High Court in 2010 stated clearly that India does not have a national language. And though a majority accepted Hindi as a national language, it is not officially the national language of the country. However, every interstate paper is printed in either Hindi or English or both, which makes it inaccessible to anyone without proficiency in either. This is especially harmful since several scheduled languages are state languages in provinces and government schools carry out education in these languages. In many provinces, even undergraduate and postgraduate students receive instruction in their regional languages. For instance, you may possess a research degree, but not know enough Hindi or English to decipher official communication. 
which is exclusively carried out in Hindi or English. A postgraduate, of course, is likely to know enough Hindi or English to fill in bank forms. But what about those who do not possess even that and are entering the bank process or banking process for the first time? Do they employ professional operators for their transactions? Some of them may have received some schooling, but entirely in the local language, which is absent in bank forms and interstate official communication papers. These are people for whom the national is also the regional. They read, write and think in their quote-unquote mother tongue. Their heroes are local. Their pasts are rooted in regional history. They hold their cultural practices dear. These people embody the essence of a sovereign collective selfhood to respond with hostility to interrogation of these practices for they don't understand the logic that frames questions put to them. Now, how really do we handle questions and people such as this? I don't have a clear answer, but I do have an account from history. The account of how the question of language was debated by the founding fathers of the Indian constitution. To make sense of the language issue in India, the best part is really to return to the constituent assembly debates. English had appeared a common language across the country for administrative, judicial and academic purposes in the 19th century and early 20th century. Now, removal of English from its privileged position was essential for the leaders of the independent country to initiate really the process of nation building. But there was no clarity to begin with about which Indian language was to replace English. The Constituent Assembly debated the issue of the national language thoroughly and passionately. The importance of this debate lies in the way the members articulated regional and linguistic identities on the one hand, and at the same time sought to build unity of purpose to lay the foundations of modern India. The debate on the language question began on 12th of September 1949. In Gopal Swami Iyengar from Madras, began the debate. He pointed out that there was unanimity among the members of the assembly with regard to the view that the language of the country must be a substitute to English. But there were various challenges associated with the adoption of Hindi as the national language. Which were these challenges? First, the question of numerals. Second, the issue of language of states and communication uh, between states and between center and the state. Three, 
the language used in legislature, high courts and supreme court and fourth, whether Hindi had the capacity or could develop a capacity to absorb ideas from across a range of other languages. So he proposed um, a fairly detailed amendment in four chapters. Chapter one recommended that Hindi in the Devanagari script be made uh, the replacement of English, but also that English should be kept for 15 years along with international or Roman numerals. Later, it was suggested that the president might appoint a commission to ensure that Hindi was progressively used and English was discouraged. Chapter 2 dealt with regional languages. Each state was to have the autonomy to enact such laws as to decide their state language for official purposes. Chapter 3, entitled Languages of Supreme Court and the High Court, etc., clearly acknowledged the incapacity of Hindi at the time in handling the technical use of the various aspects of law. Chapter 4 made two interesting but intriguing recommendations. One, any individuals can write a complaint to the state in any language. The state was also to promote Hindi in such a way that it borrowed more Sanskrit words. This last proposal sought to commemorate, perhaps, the ancient Hindu past through Sanskritic tradition without negating Persian, Pali and Prakrit. Naziruddin Ahmad who was a Sanskrit scholar, began the responses. He held that Hindi could not be established as the national language immediately. It needed English to continue for some time. He said that the selection of the national language should be based on two conditions. First, that the people must be made literate in their own language. And second, there must be a reorganization of states on linguistic basis. Once the debate started, it became clear that there was no unanimity on the issue. Various issues came up uh, for discussion. The Constituent Assembly and its leadership, predominantly from North India, was worried about the reaction of its members from South India. The only logic in favor of Hindi was that it was spoken by a majority of people in India. On 13 September 1949, Pandit Lakshmi Kant Moitro, while accepting the suggestion that English should continue for 15 years, argued for Sanskrit to be accepted as the national language. He told the house that the best example to emulate is that or was that of Israel, where Hebrew had been recognized as the official language. Frank Anthony, who was elected from central provinces and Berar, proposed an amendment replacing the Devanagari script by the Roman script. Kazi said Karimuddin speculated, and this is quite interesting, that 
Pakistan's decision to have Urdu as their national language might have been triggered by India's declaration of Hindi in Devanagari script as its national language. It was becoming obvious to most members that the partition of the country had significant bearing on the way the Indian nation was being defined. And its evidence was the decision to end all kinds of separate electoral systems. The decision to declare Urdu as the national language by Pakistan could have been in accordance with the perception of the leaders that Urdu and Muslims were co-terminus and that the only part of Pakistan which might have objected to it could be the Bangla-speaking section. N. V. Gadgil from Bombay was the first to locate Hindi as a provincial language. He pointed out that some other languages were richer in literature than Hindi. T. A. Ramalingam Chettya, who was a lawyer from Madras, said something very interesting. It probably means life and death for people of the South, unless it is going to be handled in the way in which it ought to be done. For us coming from the South to go back and face our people with any decision you're going to make here, you will see what it will mean. When Chettiar pointed out the supremacy of some South Indian languages, the president of the Constituent Assembly intervened and told the House that members should not compare literatures of different languages. N.G. Ranga from Madras objected to the observation by the president. And when the president insisted on maintaining decorum in the House, Ranga told him that he was not reasonable. So Chettiar continued, he emphasized that Hindi was not the greatest of Indian languages. He added that Hindi in the Devanagari script might become the official language, but could not be recognized as the national language. He said something very tailing, quote, when a man has to come 2000 miles and do his things here, he naturally feels that he is not in his own land. On the other hand, Shotish Chandra Samanta from West Bengal proposed that Bengali should be accepted as the national language. Shama Prasad Mukherjee from West Bengal had interesting things to say. He emphasized the multilingual character of the Indian subcontinent. He said, and I quote, If we dig into the past, we will find that it has not been possible for anybody to force the acceptance of one language by all the people in this country. He pointed out that uh, achieving unity in diversity was possible only by involving people and getting their consent, though he had a personal view. He thought Sanskrit should be made the national language. But he also pointed out that he loved his mother tongue. So um, the division among members on the national language question occurred along ideological and partisan lines. They actually had other much more pressing concerns. 
The question of language implicated identity in a cultural sense and Hindi as a language could not claim to be the most developed language. At this point, Jawaharlal Nehru decided to make an intervention. He had a profound philosophical point to make. He said, and I quote, language is a most intimate thing. It is perhaps the most important thing which society has evolved, out of which other things have taken growth. Now, language is a very big thing. It makes us aware of ourselves. First, when language is developed, it makes us aware of our neighbor. It makes us aware of our society. It makes us aware of other societies also. It is a unifying factor and it is also a factor promoting disunity. It is an integrating factor and it is a disintegrating factor between two languages as between two countries. So it has both these aspects and when therefore you think in terms of a common language, here you have to think of both these facts, unquote. Now, Nehru invoked Gandhi to support his uh, argument that Hindi could be an uniting and an integrating language in India. Nehru identified three crucial aspects um, of what language meant for India as a nation. First, despite its greatness, English could not be the language of the country because a foreign language should not be the language of the people. Second, as a corollary to the first argument, the national language must be the language of the people. And finally, the language should represent the composite culture of the country. Gandhi used the word Hindustani in a broad sense of the term. After clarifying this, it was necessary for Nehru to close the argument to establish that what Gandhi called Hindustani was, in fact, Hindi. But he rejected Sanskrit as a possible or probable choice for the national language. By the content of the subsequent speech of Nehru, it appeared that he had come rather prepared to deliver the speech to make a case for Hindi. So I'll quote him a little more. And here's what he said, quote, Till very recently, French was the recognized diplomatic and cultural language of Europe. Nobody objected to French. No Englishman or Russian or German or Pole objected to French. So all those other languages were growing. And today it might be said that English is perhaps replacing French from that proud place of diplomatic eminence. Before French, in Europe, the language of diplomacy was Latin. Just as in India, the language of culture and diplomacy for a vast period of time was Sanskrit. After Sanskrit, Persian became the language of culture and diplomacy in India. Unquote. So he gave a historically accurate picture of languages as they evolved in India. He shifted his focus to English as the language of the colonial masters and made it clear that whatever might be the richness and advantage of English, it was not the language of the masses. Then he moved to express his views on the issue of Hindi versus Hindustani and asserted that the word Hindi was better and could be used as an inclusive language. 
Now, Nehru, of course, made many memorable speeches in the Constituent Assembly. It seems that um, after his Tryst of Destiny speech on Independence Day, this speech on Hindi could be considered a historic speech. He was unambiguous in his position with regard to India's future, which, according to him, should be modern. For the past in ancient India was worthy of remembering, but not of emulating. The present India had to look forward to the future with the help of modern science. Could Hindi become the pedestal of launching the dream of modernity, of modern India? Nehru believed that it was possible, but it would have to become the language of the masses and be democratically accepted by all Indians. But that did not carry the day necessarily. Shankar Rao Deo from Bombay observed that uh, essentially it was a compromise formula and it did not guarantee total success. One of the arguments uh, used in support of Hindi was that it was spoken by a majority of the Indians. Now, Deo tried to make clear the meaning of that claim. Here's what he said, quote, After all, what is the claim that uh, is now being put forward? The claim is that this language is spoken by a majority. I'm not sure about that even. I know when I go to um, Rajin Babu or Rajendra Prasad, and when people from Bihar come to him, they do not speak Hindi. If I'm not wrong, neither Tandinji speaks Hindi at home. So when you say that Hindi, which is spoken by the majority of the country, I doubt it. I can only concede that it is perhaps understood by the majority. And that too, not the present high-flown Sanskritized Hindi, which is understood by pundits only. Others had uh, related things to say. Hukum Singh, he had earlier supported Hindi in the Devanagari script. But now he changed his stance to Hindustani in the Roman script. He said that he was doing so, changing his position after watching the fanaticism and intolerance of the supporters of Hindi in the Devanagari script. He identified six points to support his, his argument. One, Hindustani in the Roman script is already in use in the armed forces. Two, the quantum of people familiar with the Roman script are large. Three, the Devanagari script is tedious, even for printing. Four, the Roman script could be modified to suit the purpose. And it will also be convenient for railway timetables and telegraph codes. Five, It'll connect India with the outside world. Six, it'll help in ending the conflict between the North and the South. His proposals were interesting, but in the prevailing environment in the house, it was not possible to push forward such an idea. The last few speakers included Maulana Abul Kalam Azad. Azad's speech could be divided into two parts. The first part was devoted to endorsing the decision taken by the drafting committee with regard to language. In the second part of the speech, Azad expressed his personal views on language. 
He explained that the members of the committee, the drafting committee, began with the objective of removing English from its privileged position. He expressed his agreement with uh, the amendment that 15 years were required, at least, to erase English from the position it occupied at the time. But he identified two problems and challenges in destabilizing English. First, there was no national language which could immediately replace English. He made it clear that there was a need for consensus and the matter should not be unnecessarily pushed through. On the issue of national language, he said, the general framework or setup of the language spoken all over northern India is one and the same. But in its literary style, it has got two names. A style resplendent with Persian is called Urdu and a style leaning towards Sanskrit is known as Hindi. The term Hindustan has developed a wider connotation. It embraces all forms of the language spoken in northern India. It includes Hindi as well as Urdu. And even more than that, it includes each and every shade of the language of the spoken language of the north. It does not exclude any. It covers all. Now, Azad essentially made two points. Whatever name you give to the national language, it should have two things. It should be one of the languages spoken in North India. And second, it should be inclusive. Now, these issues continued to reverberate in the debate. When the final and the third reading of the draft constitution started on 18th November 1949, none might have expected that members would raise the language issue again. The same day, Gokul Bhai Daulatram Bhatt rose to speak. He told the House that when the language question came for discussion in the House, he was not present on the day. And he said, and I quote, if Gujarati, Marathi and such other languages can all be considered regional languages, there is no reason why Rajasthani, which is similar to them, and is spoken by one and a half crore people could not be considered as a regional language. This was the first manifestation of regional linguistic identity in the country, and much more was to follow later on. On 23rd of November, Balwan Singh Mehta lamented that Rajasthani has not found a place in the schedule of regional languages. Ironically, during the debate on the languages question, there was silence on the issue of regional languages, except a few comments. Without a doubt, the debate and the decision on the national language was one of the major events in the history of post-colonial India. Languages being associated with national identity was an important issue for the people and leaders of India. In the Constitution of India, the official languages has been covered under Part 17 of the Constitution and Articles 343 to Articles 351 pertain to language issues. It is important, really, to cite Clause 3 
of Article 343, which states, and I quote, notwithstanding anything in this article, Parliament may by law provide for the use after the said period of 15 years of A, the English language, or B, the Devanagari form of numerals for such purposes as may be specified by law. The fate of two constitutional provisions could be predicted right from the time that the constitution was being finalized. The first pertained to the matter of reservations in state legislature and the Lok Sabha, which was meant for 10 years, but could be extended further by parliament. The second was the discontinuation of English after 15 years, but its use could be allowed by parliament. Ironically, and I repeat ironically, both provisions, political reservations and the use of English, still continue and any effort to create compulsion for the use of Hindi is met with tremendous resistance from many corners and classes of India. Subsequent developments with regard to language implicated numerous issues. One of them related to the linguistic reorganization of states, which was a matter of policy and an outcome of the enactment of parliament, the formation of states on the basis of common language could be seen as an attempt towards uniformity instead of diversity. However, the language issue was turned into a communal matter with the identification of a particular language with a religious community in certain cases. It was a kind of unintended consequence of taking up the language issue in the reorganization of states. Communal overtones with regard to language could be observed in various speeches in the Constituent Assembly. Despite the fact that Hindi is understood in most of India, any attempt at formalizing the use of Hindi still arouses passion. The popularization of Hindi in India has not been the result of a political act, but of popular cinema. The language in Indian cinema is close to Hindustani. Due to the common grammar of Hindi and Urdu, there is no strict boundary even today between the two in the world of entertainment. However, the protagonists of Hindi have not learnt this fact and they still push for Sanskritized Hindi as the lingua franca. Now that will remain a problem and a matter of contention for a long time yet. But here we bring a close to this episode of History Chatter with a question. What kind of Hindi do you think should be the linked language of India? Is it a Hindi heavily laden with Sanskrit words or is it a Hindi which is spoken in Hindi films? What is your choice? Do tell us what you think about the question. Do subscribe to History Chatter and I'll be back with another exciting 
an unusual episode next week. This is your friend Anirban bidding you goodbye.